Welcome, welcome, welcome to another edition of Fixin' to Talk Sports. I am your host, Ryan Brown. This week, we are joined by two guests yet again. This week, we got Lil Mike and we got the return of Anthony Squid, Gabriella. Fellas, how are we doing? Doing great, Ryan. Uh, you know, Duke's losing at halftime to Virginia Tech, so that's always a good sign for the uh, Fuck Duke Club. Um, you know, not not so good on the professional basketball front, but the college basketball front, that's always a good thing. Squid? Doing wonderful, my man. Doing wonderful. Awesome. Glad to have you back. Uh, we wish we could have had Jonathan on the show as well. He was originally supposed to be on uh, due to scheduling uh, issues that were forced upon us by myself from the previous night. Uh, he is no longer able to join us, but that means we have you squid. So always glad to have you on the show. Uh, and if we got squid on the show, that means we're probably talking some Celtics and that is indeed what we are here to do today on the show. Uh, we haven't really talked about, about the Celtics uh, since they, the season started up for them. So let's kind of catch up things up to speed and recap how their season has gone to this point. Uh, after their win over the Cleveland Cavaliers tonight, as we record on this Wednesday, December 22nd, the Celtics currently sit at 16 wins and 16 losses, which is currently good for eighth in the Eastern Conference, which means if the season ended today, they'd be in the play-in tournament. They're five and five in their last 10, which is literally par for the course for their record. Uh, but it's been a, a, an up and down season. You know, you think maybe it's been, this is just what they are, but they've, they've shown stretches of for better and for worse. For instance, they start the season two and five. They have that just awful, awful fourth quarter collapse at home on November 1st against the Chicago bulls. They're up 14 going into the fourth quarter. They lose by 14. Marcus Smart, after that, calls out Tatum and Brown. They have a this quote-unquote players-only meeting. Uh, whether you believe that or not is up to you. But it seemed to light a fire under the team. They went 8-3 and three after that. They looked like they were starting to put things together. They had the best defense in the league during that stretch. But then things kind of tapered off. And they've gone six and eight since that point. And this is where we're at 16, 16, and just scrapping for a shot at the play in tournament. Uh, but the big thing I think outside of the ups and downs is probably the fact that COVID is wreaking havoc on the Celtics. Uh, we've had several players on the seas uh, enter the COVID protocols and I'll get into that in a, in a little bit, but Squid, give me your, your initial thoughts on the Celtics season so far. You know, what have you liked? What have you not liked? Yeah, you know, um, coming into the year, I was a little more optimistic on the team based off of the players that they added. So, you know, getting Horford back in the fold, Richardson um, and then Schroeder, and then obviously three-point king Grant Williams up in here as well. Uh, I mean, just back, but you know, I was, I was really looking forward to seeing what they can do. And unfortunately I haven't really got a glimpse of it. I mean, I think we've had two games so far where we have had our full roster available, which kind of sucks. Once again, it's what happened all year last year, but you know, eventually at some point you, you can't just keep making injuries an excuse or COVID an excuse. You kind of are what you are, which is frustrating, 
I, you know, it has been tough for Ime Adoka to just come in here and just start figuring things out with how much COVID has been a factor. Then your second best player in Jalen Brown misses probably half the game so far. So, I mean, we've kind of been just all over the place. It's been hard to have any consistency. The only thing we're consistent at is being inconsistent, um, which is a little bit frustrating. But, you know, I still have optimistic hopes at some point. I just am never going to get too invested until I actually see consistent results from this team. Yep. Mike. Yeah. I mean, uh, Squid kind of hit the, the nail on the head there. Um, I mean, this team just redefines what it means to be average. I, I One night they're having a fantastic win over the Milwaukee Bucks. Three days later, they're blowing, you know, a late lead to the Golden State Warriors. And then, you know, the Knicks come to town, they blow them out. And then the Sixers come to town and they have a late lead and they blow that one. And then, you know, the Cavs come to town tonight and they win that one. And what will probably happen Saturday is they go to Milwaukee and they'll find a way to lose. And then they'll win the game after that. It's just, it's just a snip, snap, snip, snap with this team the whole entire year. And I think, you know, the injuries have played a factor and COVID wreaking havoc obviously has played a factor, but it's just, it's probably the most frustrating Celtics team that I've ever watched just because you know that you have two of the top 25 players in the league and given one has missed half a year with injury but they should just be better than they are. I, they just should. They're, the excuse is like it. It's just so mediocre. I mean, Tatum has been more inefficient than he was in years past. Um, you know, Williams had, has been banged up with the bigger minutes load. Brown, like I said, he, he's got the hamstring issue going on. Um, you know, smarts had a bigger role ball handling, which, he has, you know, increased his assist, but he's also made some boneheaded decisions like that long pass the other night down by three when he could have just inmounted it to Tatum short and given him a shot to, you know, dribble up the floor and take a shot. So, I mean, you know, my biggest takeaway at this point is they're just painfully average. Yeah. And circling back to the COVID, I mean, the list of Celtics to go on the COVID list this season is getting a little out of hand. Jabari Parker, Sam Hauser, Juancho Hernan Gomez, Grant Williams, Al Horford twice, uh, Grant Williams, uh, Josh Richardson, Broderick Thomas. It's, it's, it's really getting to the point where I would, I'm not going to call it an outbreak or anything, but I mean, this is not good. Like this is, they got to get that under control. And then you add, like you said, you guys have said Jalen Brown working through hamstring injuries. He's been out for multiple stretches twice this year due to, to the, due to that hamstring injury. Uh, it's it just a total lack of consistency and you hit it on the hail. You guys hit it on the nail there. And I think the, the biggest part of in the part that squid mentioned, the fact that they haven't had the full roster for all but two games and when they do, they, they've been really good. Even when they just have their full starting five lineup, that lineup of Tatum, Brown, smart Horford and Robert Williams, when those five start and are able to play big minutes together, they're one of the best five man units in the league. Their rating is through the roof, but the problem is they can't, they're just never able to play together all all five of them at the same time. Cause one of them at least is usually out for some reason. And that's just led to this mediocrity stretch so far early on in the season. And obviously there's plenty of basketball left to be played, but like you said, Mike, at, at, at some point 
you're just, you just are what you are. Um, so I, I think the one thing that's, that stood out for me is the fact that they just, in terms of regular season basketball, I, I just, I'm struggling to see where this team can get better without looking outside, like trading for a third star, but I don't see how you do that. I'm not even sure how you can do that. You don't have the draft picks anymore. So I, I guess this team is just what it is. And I don't know how you fix it. Squid, do you have any thoughts on how, how you would fix it? Um, you know, like w- one thing I see and I, I really noticed is a guy like Al Horford, he's someone that really connects the Celtics. So he's the guy that just makes the extra pass, sets a lot of screens, cuts a lot, and just he plays really fundamental, smart basketball, kind of like a, you know, just classic old man ball. Um, I love that I add Al, Al Horford. And, you know, you add guys like Josh Richardson, who honestly, I've been loving how he plays. And a guy like Dennis Schroeder, who, you know, it's, it's, it's either, he's either great or terrible. It's no, nowhere in between. Um, he like they're good players, but I, I feel like the Celtics need more connectors, more guys that are just willing passers and more guys that are like, I don't really need mine. I just want to get the ball to the right place. Cause obviously it's great when Tatum and Brown do it, but they are still inconsistent at it. And, you know, they're great scorers. That's what they are. So you need to find connectors for them. And I think that's, what's going to be important over the next five, four years, trying to keep these two stars in town. And, you know, eventually win a championship with them. It's going to be finding more connecting players that are willing to set them up for success. You know, just watching them play the Cavs tonight, I highly wish they could just swap shorter for Ricky Rubio because that would be an awesome fit in the roster. Not saying he's a long-term solution, but, you know, they just need to find guys that are better at passing than we have right now because I don't like – I really don't like Smart in that role. Yeah, because Marcus Smart, I mean, he's not really an offensive-minded person. I I understand – Go ahead. He's, and like the thing that gets to me about him is like, I mean, obviously you love the defense and you love the hustle. It's just at some point you have to call him one of the most frustrating offensive basketball players in NBA history. Cause he'll knock down threes at a high rate for like five games. And all of a sudden he thinks he needs to take these big shots at the end of games and take chances when he doesn't need to. And then all of a sudden you're at a point where, Oh, Marcus Smart's making big plays. Well, he wouldn't need to make these big plays if he didn't make five boneheaded mistakes before that, you know? It's like at some point the the grittiness and the big plays gets overrated because he just makes way too many mistakes before it. Yeah. And then you look at Dennis Schroeder, Mike, and he he obviously supplies the offensive punch uh that Marcus Smart lacks, but defensively not obviously the same. But he offensively he's a scoring guard. He is not a, a, a pass first point guard by any stretch of the means. So that, that element definitely seems to be lacking in the offense. Yeah, no, I, I would, I would completely agree with, um, with what squid said there. Like he, he just doesn't really fit well next to Tatum and Brown because he, his mentality is give me the ball and I'm going to be an ISO scorer. Okay. Well, the Celtics two best players are isolation scorers. You can't surround isolation scorers with more isolation scorers. This isn't the YMCA. You don't just get five guys who want the ball in their hands and want to play one-on-one. This is a team sport. This is the National Basketball Association. You need guys who fit into roles. Take, you know, Grant Williams, for example. He knows what his role is on this team. His role is on offense, get in the corner, and when you're open, shoot the three ball. Don't hesitate. And he does that well. 
And on defense, it's okay. If there's a stretch four, let me take some of the beating. So it doesn't affect Tatum as much. And he can carry the load on offense. Like he's been doing all year. And he doesn't necessarily shut guys down, but he's willing to take that beating that other guys aren't. Dennis Schroeder doesn't fit that role for this team. Dennis Schroeder is, you know, a green light sixth man. And that's fine when Tatum and Brown aren't on the floor, but one of them is almost always going to be on the floor. There have been cases this year, obviously with Brown's injury where he hasn't been, but you would like to think and hope that that's not going to be something that occurs frequently. So I completely agree with what Squid said. I think, you know, Schroeder isn't the best fit. I think Rubio would be a better fit. And like you said, Ryan, his defense is just bad. And it's not necessarily the way he plays. It's just his physicality. He's not big enough. Like this league, you have to be at least six foot three, 200 pounds now to be a competent NBA defensive player. He's not even close to that. You look at guys like, you know, John Morant and Darren Fox, who are much better offensive players, they're complete defensive liabilities too. So it's, it's not so much an insult to him as much as it is, as it is a statement about where the league is going nowadays. If they're going to, you know, roll out with this group, they need guys who fill roles around the two superstars better. And what they have right now, it's, it's an indictment on the team Danny Ainge built before he left here, because this roster just doesn't fit well around the two superstars. Yeah. Mark, Marcus smart really needs to just take a leap in terms of his passing. I can live with him being a like 30% from three guy. If he's rarely shooting those shots and he's looking to be more of a pass first guy and he's averaging like six, seven assists a game and being efficient with the basketball. But the problem is that is not even what his mindset is. Yeah. He's averaging somewhere between four and five assists a game, but the turnovers and the shot selection is just mind boggling at times. And like you said, squid, it does, it just kind of almost neutralizes all of the gritty plays and the defensive uh, turnovers that he forces. But when he just basically hands it right back in the form of a brick three that he shouldn't have even bothered temp- taking, or he just turns the ball over trying to do something he shouldn't have. Um, so it, it's, it's it, it, can I add on smart? Cause this, I think this is a point that really stands out to me. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you don't, if he's going to be your main guy, that's your setup guy. That's the guy that gets you the assists all game and runs your offense. He can't be the gritty guy. Like you want the gritty guy to be like a small forward that comes in and just provides a ton of energy and makes big plays when you need him. You don't want it to be your starting point guard. who's supposed to be calm, level-headed, set everyone up. Like he just, he turns the ball over at a crazy rate. It's not even the shots that kill me. It's like when the other team's on a six Oh run or a nine Oh run and the games all, all of a sudden tied when it shouldn't be in the fourth quarter. Smart for some reason when the full shot clock thinks he needs to shoot a three, like a home run ball for no reason. Terrible shot, missed. They come down and get an and one. And it happens like almost every other night. And I feel like, I don't know, the Celtics are never really going to figure it out with him as their starting point guard. And I'm, I don't know, I kind of think he's the answer to move on from as well as just Dennis Schroeder being a free agent next year and not being able to resign him. So just getting assets for him while you can. Yeah, I wouldn't be too opposed for that. Although I would like to see, like you said, maybe bring in a Ricky Rubio or hell, I'd even take a flyer on our former Celtic Rajon Rondo to lead the offense because you know he's not going to be uh, over overzealous shooting the ball on offense. Although I was, well, I have watched a, f- a couple of Lakers games on national TV. That man's shooting the three ball a little bit more than I remember him. He's he's. He's starting to get a little, 
little, uh, I don't, I don't want to say feel himself, but, uh, he's starting to uh, take, a, he's starting to feel a little bit more confident behind the arc. Absolutely. Uh, but let's, I know we've talked about, we brought, I brought up Jalen Brown and we talked how much he missed. Uh, he's missed out over half the games so far this season or right about half of them. Actually, he's missed uh, 14 of the team's 32. So right around the half mark. Uh, in, but in the fast, the last five games, uh, I think he's looked pretty good s- since his re- return again from a hamstring injury. Mike, what have you thought about Jalen Brown over the past week or two? Well, you know, since coming back, I would tend to agree. Um, I think that first game was definitely a little bit rough. Uh, he looked like he was hesitant, like he didn't want to play at full speed. Like he was afraid he was going to pull his hamstring. Um, but I think as we've seen the games go on, I think by that next game this past Saturday, he was really back in full gear. Um, and, and that's just the thing with him is he can't hold back. You know, you, he just needs to know like, all right, you know, outside of when Jason's on the floor, I'm going to be the number one option. And they're going to look to me to score the ball, to make plays, to make other guys better. And he started to do that again. You know, he's looking like the Jalen Brown that we saw last year. It started to take that next step towards being a legitimate number two on a playoff contender. You know, these past few games are showing that when he is on the floor and when the Celtics have him as a secondary option to Tatum, they can compete with all of these teams. The, the reason they were struggling so much is because Jason Tatum was being asked to play 40 minutes a night surrounded by guys who two of them half the time didn't actually know how to play the game of basketball at an NBA level. Um, with Brown out there now, you know, he's, he's really changed the dynamic because Tatum can take a little more of a rest. Brown can come in and, you know, he can take over again tonight. He was actually the number one option. Jason, Jason didn't play that well tonight. Jalen was really the go-to guy. And, and that's nice to see that he can do that every once in a while when JT is having an off night. Squid, what, do you, what are you thinking about Jalen Brown so far this year, especially since he's returned from his most recent injury? Yeah, you know, Jalen, obviously the hamstring injury sucks, and it's one of those injuries in basketball that's like it's just hard to play on, and you're just scared you're going to re-injure it the whole time. But, you know, yeah, these last few games, now that he's kind of looking like himself again, it's kind of back to like where we were, you know, at the start of last year before the, you know, all the COVID nonsense and then Jalen getting hurt happened where Jason and Jalen do work together. They clearly do. It has since like when they're on off numbers together are great. And it's been that way since I started playing together, whatever, four years ago, it's just the fact of, I don't like Jalen's a great number two. I think he can be a number two player on the championship team. I really do. The offensive bag is crazy. It's the matter of like, if he's surrounded by the right guys as well as, you know, Tatum being surrounded by the right guys, it's okay if they do ISO stuff, because they're good enough, but they have to be obviously selective with it. It's more about how they lead the team. And I just really want to harp on Jalen stepping up as a playmaker, especially when Tatum's on the bench and, you know, providing the offensive spark and just becoming more wise and have a higher IQ Tatum. I mean, Tatum and Brown, if mainly Brown, if he can hire his IQ as a player, obviously he's a very smart individual, but if they can, you know, if he can, if he can hire his IQ as a player, making better passes, taking better shots, maybe you think, okay, I'm obviously hot right now. I don't need to take a fadeaway over two guys. I can make the right basketball play. If he gets better at that stuff and has Al Horford in his air continuously, I really do think he can, you know, step into that just second player in a championship team. And it's just a matter of surrounding him correctly. Yeah, I I would tend to agree. I I think the big thing with Jalen and also Tatum is the fact that their assist numbers are down. Uh, we talked about that they're kind of need to step it up on the playmaking with no real number one playmaker on the team. 
and you just look at the the assist numbers, Jalen's down and up. Which is almost a full assist a game. I know that's splitting hairs, but you want he had been improving the past couple of seasons, rising his assist number. Tatum as well to see them both down and assist a game uh, while they're not exactly improving their shooting percentages or, or their usage rates is a little bit troubling. But I think that again speaks to a lack of consistency, a lack of rhythm uh, with both each other and the rest of their teammates. Uh, so I think that if they were actually able to stay healthy, get, get going together and, and stay and just be able to get that sense of continuity, I think things would, would correct themselves. And you'd start to see the team that is capable of making at least a conference finals run on any given year. But the way that things have shooken out so far this year, you really can't be surprised with the start, um, but so that makes that leads me to this question, guys. Where I know this is Ime Udoka's first season as head coach for the Boston Celtics, and obviously it's been a, a strenuous one to say the least. But given what he's had to deal with so far and what he'll likely have to deal with the rest of the way, uh, what are your thoughts, Mike? I'll start with you first on Ime's job so far as head coach. Um, I don't know that he's the wrong guy for the job, but I don't know that he was ready for a head coaching job yet either after seeing it. Defensively, they look way better than they've looked in years past. I don't know if that has to do more with switching out Kemba Walker for Al Horford, who completely changes your dynamic on the defensive side of the ball when he's out there. I mean, they're it looks like they're limiting teams to 90 to 95 points per game most of the time with the exception of that, that jazz game a few weeks ago where they just got absolutely lit up. Um, and gave up like 137 points in regulation, which was just ridiculous. Um, but on the whole, they look like a better defensive team. Offensively, doesn't look like much has changed. It looks like they're still trying to play too much hero ball. Doesn't look like they're running any set plays. It doesn't look like they're running through any one particular player other than just, all right, give it, give the ball to our superstar and he'll bail us out. Like that's not really how an NBA offense is supposed to work, but that's how it works for the Celtics. Um, I would like to see some improvement in the creative play calling on the offensive side of the ball from Ime Udoka. Defensively, I love where they're at. Uh, overall, I'd give him a C, which is kind of how the team's performed. I mean, they're they're five hundred ball club, so he clearly hasn't done that bad of a job given the injury to JB um, and and the lack of clear cut quality role players around the two superstars. But he hasn't exactly blown my doors off either at this point. He's just been very average as a head coach. Ryan, your audio is acting up right now, and I can't hear. Classic self mute. There it is. Hate to see that. That's uh, tough. But basically, what I was mouthing into the video camera was that I agree with most of what you're saying there, Mike. Uh, basically, the only thing I would challenge you on is the fact that the the offense being watered down and it is, but I think you're seeing a lot of that around the league, a lot more uh, isolation, a lot more or a lot less rather set plays where you're most NBA offenses just seem to be limited to pick and rolls and uh, screening to set up your shooters. So I, I don't, I, I'm not necessarily going to call him out for like poor, offensive sets or anything like that. I think that's just a, 
just just where the game is transitioned to less sort of set plays in the half court and more sort of just free flowing, like let your top guys just figure things out on the floor uh, and on the fly. Uh, but squid, what, what are your thoughts so far on Ime Udoka? Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm like kind of just still in the wait and see mode with him. It's we're 30, we're 32 games into an NBA season where, you know, half our players can't stay healthy and whatever. He's a new coach with a new system. He's a first time head coach. I, you know, I'm, I want to give him till January or I guess after Christmas, which is I usually when I say the NBA season starts, cause you know, football and just, it's a long season and players aren't always focused, but I, I do like to see that he may, I, I like his rotations to be honest with you. I think he's consistent with his rotations. I think he just, even when guys are playing bad, he's like, listen, you got to get back in there and work through it. Where sometimes Brad last year would just try to throw random guys out there to fix it when it wasn't needed. Um, I don't know. I'm not saying he's like a amazing head coach by any means so far, but I think he's in learning and he's just, you know, trying to stay consistent to what he is and try to try to hold the players accountable. Um, I just think, you know, we need more of a sample size for me to make a real judgment on him because the, the team was the way it was last year with at whatever 16. And I mean, they were 500 pretty much the whole year last year mm-hmm. and they're the same way again. And everyone wanted to yell at Brad and Brad's no longer the coach. And now that Brad's with the coach we're 16, 16 again. And I mean, what it's, is it really the coach or is it the roster? You know? Yeah. At some point, the conversation has to switch to the players. You've already, you've now tried the coaching change. You've tried changing things up in the front office. And I understand that the front office, which was basically taking your coach and moving into the front office, but I digress. The point still is you've changed things around from an executive and coaching standpoint. Uh, If things do not change, if results do not change and improve uh, on the court, then you have to look at the players and, and try and address it. How, how are we going to change the roster to possibly be better? And they've tried. I mean, the amount of influx and outflow of talent is just astounding over the past couple of years. And the fact that they can't crack the NBA finals with it uh, has been shocking to say the least. Um, but, and, and I, and I think that's to your point, like, you know, they, they made the coach general manager. I actually kind of thought, the general manager made some good moves that they hired the coach who they hired and just the players that they, they brought in from the mess. Danny Ainge left us. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Uh, speaking of Danny Ainge, uh, this is, this is something that I did want to talk about. Uh, and <laughs> Danny Ainge becomes the new CEO for the Utah jazz. Uh, I want to get your guys' quick thoughts on that. Is anyone really surprised by that? Because I know in talking with Jonathan, uh, he was l- literally said that it was, quote, the least surprising news ever. Yeah, I mean, Danny obviously lives in Utah and loves Utah, whatever. BYU boy. And I'm happy for him that he's out there. and He's probably in a more relaxed role than he is here in Boston. He was here in Boston. I have no bitter feelings because – I wanted him out as GM because I just thought he's, he was kind of losing his touch and that's fine. And I'm, you know, go for it, run Utah into the ground out there, Danny. That'd be awesome. <laughs> Donald Mitchell would be a perfect fit for the Jays. So go run him into the ground, bud. Mike. 
Yeah. Um, once again, squid hit the nail on the head there. Uh, Utah's really good right now. Go ruin that team, please. Like, please do. Cause they're just way too good for anyone else's own good. Uh, I, you know, I, he, he did his thing here. Um, he got us the Jays. He kind of tanked the roster after that. And the Kyrie thing isn't necessarily his fault because no one could have seen that Kyrie Irving was going to be a psychopath. Uh, but everything after that from Kemba Walker, it, it, it's just, it felt like he pressed all the wrong buttons and that's just a hard thing to, to see as a fan. So um, I'm glad he's gone and I hope he finds a way to tank Utah so that Donovan Mitchell, when his contract expires, he can come play in Boston with his two best friends and we can have a big three here. Hmm. Dream. <laughs> yeah. One, maybe one day, one day. Uh, let's, let's talk about what we think based on what we've seen so far. And I know squid, you don't want you. It's too early to, it could, it's, it's definitely too early to really judge this team. But given the fact that we're still in the same place that we were basically last year at this point in time, do you, do you see like, what do you see their current ceiling to be uh, based off of what you've seen? I know in talking with Jonathan, it really, he doesn't see them being a top four seed. He thinks their ceiling is uh, the five or six seed. So basically out not having to play in the play in, but nothing more, just very mid. <laughs> I honestly, like I, it's crazy. I know it's, I know it's a crazy take, but when you look at the Eastern conference, like, Obviously, if Kyrie's coming back, I'm scared of Brooklyn, and that's a team who I think should definitely win the East this year. Like, I have no doubt about it in my mind. Um, and I think they will win the finals this year. It's just, it just sucks, but they probably will if Kyrie does play. Who knows with him and his vaccination stuff. But uh, outside of that, you know, Milwaukee's all banged up, and I don't know. We For some reason, we played against them really well the last few years. Like, this year and last year, our record against them is pretty damn good, and we just know how to cover Giannis. Um, other teams in the East, like Chicago, they're playing great and all, but I'm not super scared of Chicago when it comes down to a playoff series. And neither am I of Philadelphia, who's just seems to be floating along just like us. Uh, Miami is, you know, they're gritty, but I, I'm, I don't know. Outside of Brooklyn, I'm, if we got on the right side of the bracket, I'm not too terrified of those teams in a playoff series. Like, I think they could, we could upset our way to a, somehow get to the conference finals and get swept in Brooklyn. But, I mean, that just shows how weak the rest of the East is. Yeah. I mean, you look at the top six right now, and it includes the Washington Wizards and Cleveland Cavaliers. I, I know nobody is, I think, really threatened by the Boston Celtics, but I know for a fact nobody is threatened by the Cleveland Cavaliers or Washington Wizards until they put some respect on their name uh, with any sort of postseason success. Uh, right, and, and that says, like, the big thing about that is, like, you look at, like, the Celtics, when they play great, it's because they're motivated and they play awesome. And, you know, when the playoff series comes around against a team like the Wizards or the Cavs or even, like, just the Bucks or the Sixers, like, I'm not terrified of them. Like, the Celtics, they'd like to play up to the competition when they're motivated. And I could see them, you know, upsetting a few teams along the way because they do play up to their competition. Yeah. In uh, one team you, you also left out that's really banged up and sitting pretty close to the top of the standings is the Chicago Bulls. Uh, that one team that I, I may or may not have been really high on coming into the season and they've, <laughs> they've, they've played to my expectations, but they're dealing with their own big time COVID issues. 
and uh, they're handling it as, as good as they can. But I mean, they're at the point where they're starting to see some postponements. Uh, so you definitely don't like to see that. Uh, Mike, wh- what would you say is your ceiling for this team as it currently stands? As it currently stands? Uh, the play-in game. Honest to, God, honest to God, I really don't. They are what they are. Like, it's, you know, it's mid-December, late December, really. And um, we're almost at the halfway point of the NBA season. I don't really see this team making any drastic improvements, to be completely honest with you. I think, you know, you look at the way the roster is constructed, you look at, you know, the guys who are out there every night. This is a team that's destined to be in that 7-10 to 10 range. They have two superstars. They're way too good to fall out outside of that, you know, that they're, they're too good to fall into that bottom five. But I don't know that they're good enough to crack the top six in the East. Like, you know, you got to look at, Chicago is really good, really, really, really good at basketball. Like the, their, their starting lineup is arguably the best in the NBA when it's fully healthy. Um, Brooklyn, I mean, if, if Kyrie does get vaxxed and they're healthy, that, that's good night because they're the only team in the league that has a legit big three. Um, Milwaukee is going to get a top six seed. So that's three spots right there. Miami is way too talented and plays way too hard every single night. They have the probably the best coach in the league at this point and just such a hard-nosed mentality that there's no way they're falling out of there. I know you shout on Cleveland, but they look really fucking good this year. They look like they finally turned a corner. Like th- This isn't some fluke with them. They are a legitimate basketball team. They can compete at the NBA level on a nightly basis with the guys that they have on that roster. So that's five spots already. That doesn't even include the Atlanta Hawks who were in the Eastern conference finals last year, the Philadelphia 76ers who God knows what they're going to get for Simmons, but having something out there for Simmons is better than not having anything out there with Simmons. Um, Who else am I missing out on in the East? Uh, The wizards, the wizards are currently in front of them. They are currently in front of them. Are a half a game back, and the Hornets uh, are. The Hornets are another good one. Like they looked like you know they got wrecked by COVID, but prior to that, they looked like they were a competent basketball team for the first time in God knows how long. The Wizards, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm a little skeptical on them at this point. They're really just Bradley Beal and a ragtag bunch of misfit toys. But you know, they can compete. So I mean. I, I don't. I don't really know that the Celtics are above the playing game at this point. I think that they can win that playing game and then get decimated by one of the Bulls or Nets. Um, last year taught me a valuable lesson in the fact that just because a team has more talent or the bigger names like the Lakers did doesn't mean they're going to beat out the better team like the Suns, who were the two seed. I, I was one of those people who fell into the, oh, it's LeBron. There's no way he loses in the first round, and then he got obliterated. So. I actually think we had a podcast on that and I was like, yeah, it's going to be the Lakers and they're going to go all the way. Um, not my finest moment in terms of a sports take, but I digress on that. Uh, yeah. It's I, the, the, back to the Celtics. They are what they are. Like they're average. They're not getting better than this. Yeah. The, the Lakers point real quick. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to totally fault you on that one. I mean, if you were predicting 80 to get hurt, three games into that series and go out for the rest of the playoffs. Like, I guess good on you. Uh, but that's just how that one shook out. But yeah, the, the Celtics just, it just the lack of consistent and consistency and more or less the consistently inconsistent play uh, to their competition and being just 
unable to string together long stretches of good play is just left us where we're at, where we're just basically talking circles around our heads about how inconsistent or the lack of consistency. And it's just, it's just mind boggling. I, and I, you know, all podcasts, we obviously don't, we've been tending to agree. I, I would like to just throw one thing there and it's the Chicago Bulls. I know you guys are both pretty high on them. I've obviously, you've obviously seen some good results and I like what they're doing with Lonzo ball and the roses and stuff there. I'm still not sold. I'm just going to say it. They're playing great right now, but in the NBA, if you want to go to a conference finals or win a win an NBA title or even get to the finals, you need to have that one, a guy, you need to have that guy that says, get out of my way. I'll take over. I'm a top five, top 10 player in this league. And yeah, you know, Levine and DeRozan are good, but I don't think they're, they're those kind of guys and they can be a good collaboration of players, but I, like, I don't think they're those kind of guys. And I just don't, I just don't, I, when push comes to shove and a playoff series comes around, I'm taking the team with a better player as long as they're not like, you know, uh, Chris Paul and Devin Booker was an anomaly. I still think if AD was healthy, they win that series last year. You just got to have the guy. And I don't think, I just don't think Chicago has the guy and that's my issue with them. And that's a, that's a fair point to make. I mean, you look at Brooklyn, they have three different like alphas to choose from Milwaukee. They've got a pair of alphas in Giannis and even Chris Middleton uh, when Chris Middleton is feeling himself. I mean, even like I could totally see if the bulls were like fall to like end up being like the three seed and Miami somehow were to end up as like the six. That's a terrible first round matchup for Chicago. Mm-hmm. I could totally see them losing because Jimmy Butler and guys like Bam Adebayo and Kyle Lowry are able to get theirs. Like I, I can totally see that, but I'm also, I just look at the overall like really high top end talent that they've got assembled now. And I really think it's capable of a run. I don't, I'm not necessarily saying it will or that they will get the job done, but I'm saying I like what they, what I, I like the roster composition. I think it's built for absolute regular season success. I just don't know if it's necessarily going to translate into postseason success. Uh, that remains to be seen. And that's what, and right. And that's what I think people fall for every year is like the regular season success. It's like, all right, you know, this Chicago team, or usually it's Philadelphia, this team plays. I mean, this team's had a great record. They're going to be a forcing record in the playoffs. And it's like, Oh, in the playoffs, all these teams who just coasted through the regular season start trying on defense and start getting locked in. And all of a sudden it's a whole different game. And I'm just, I'm not there with the balls until I see them win. Like it's going to be one of the, one of those things for me, kind of like the Suns last year. I need to actually see it happen in the playoffs for me to buy into it, which is fine. Cause I, I'll be, I'll happily be wrong. Cause you know, Chicago has been a rough franchise for the past 10 years. So I mean, whatever. I just, I just want to see, I want to see it before I believe it. Yeah, that's fair. I usually like to be a little bit out ahead of it just so I can brag about it. But, uh, sort of like my gamble on the Suns to make a run last year that paid off. Cause you know, every team they faced in the West had some sort of major injury to one of their, uh, top players. So that lucked out, but like you, you look at your point squid, Take the Utah Jazz, for example, regular season darlings, but I don't think anyone outside of Utah looks at the Utah Jazz and takes them as a serious threat in the playoffs until they actually make a finals run or even a conference finals run. They they just can't even seem to to make it that far into the playoffs. So oh, until yeah. they do, that nobody's going to actually take them serious. So First nobody falls. Yeah. 
Utah's a first round. I'm saying it right now. Utah's a first round exit. They're going to run like the Lakers are going to somehow get hot in the end of the year. Something's going to happen where a team like, or Kawhi is going to come back. First round exit. I just, I don't know. Utah, Philadelphia, you can just ride it home every year. There's the, the DNA on those, in those places just aren't enough. Mike. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of with you on, on the bulls there, Ryan. I think that, you know, I'm kind of all in on them at this point. Uh, I, I, I think that they're a good team, but I get what Squid's saying there. Seeing is believing. And that's kind of where I was at last year with the Suns. I didn't really believe it until I saw it. Uh, what I will say is the Suns at least did have, I think Devin Booker and Chris Paul are much more established one A's or were at least at this point last year, one A's than DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine. Um, Levine is very similar to Booker, but DeRozan is not even close to being on the level of Chris Paul. And I think there's an argument to be had that DeAndre Ayton is better suited for the NBA playoffs than Nikola Vucevic. That's not to say that he's a better basketball player. That's to say that the NBA playoffs is built around. It's a much more physical game than it is in the regular season. And it's much more about dominating on the inside. And while Vuce has a very high caliber offensive game, he's not as good defensively as a guy like Ayton. And I think def- interior defense plays up in the postseason. So I, I, I get the skepticism on the Bulls, but, you know, when they've been healthy, they've got two guys averaging over 25 points per game. They're the only team. I, I think they're the only team in the league who might have, I could be wrong. I, I'm not sure if the Lakers do or not, because I'm not sure how the Westbrook dynamic has affected the statistical aspect of that team. Uh, but, you know, they have two of the top 10 scorers in the league. That's, that's hard to stop when you have, you know, you need two ace defenders to shut those guys down. And that's not the easiest thing to find in the NBA. So I, I kind of like where the Bulls are at. And I, I really, 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 I, I agree with your point as far as the scoring goes. And, you know, I really, truly hope the Celtics do run into the Bulls in the playoffs because when it comes down to it, the Bulls could very likely win that series. But I don't know. They haven't been there really. The, the t- as a team, they haven't been there together. And a guy like I take Tatum over any guy on that team. I, I get those, like, you know, I still think he's the best player on the floor in, in a playoff series. If the teams are close enough, which I think the Tatum's and Celtics will eventually round into shape in the shape. But I, you know, I think Tatum's the best player on the floor with that team. And I just really truly believe that when it comes down to it, Chicago's Chicago is not actually going to be ready for the challenge, but who knows? I guess that'll be seen later on. And we talk about it on the podcast. Yep. Let's circle back to the Celtics here as we're winding down. Uh, one thing that we have to talk about that we haven't really touched on as much yet is the Celtics struggles in the fourth quarter and close games uh, coming into the week. They ranked 23rd in the NBA in fourth quarter margin. That's to say they get outscored uh, by a couple points. An, on average in the fourth quarter, which is not good. And they also are one in six. They also have a one in six record in quote unquote close games, one in four in one possession games. So Mike, I'll start with you. What if, why are the Celtics struggling in late game, close game scenarios when they have the talent of the likes of Tatum and Brown and offensive guys like Schroeder. Um, I think 
part of it has to do with the wear and tear that's going into Jason Tatum's game at this point, you know, for a lot of the season, because of the injury, he's out there for 38 to 40 minutes a night, which is, he, he's a guy who needs a bit to get into rhythm in terms of length of the season. And he's had that, but he's being asked to carry a bigger load this year than he's ever been asked to in his career. And as the game goes on, that can wear down on a guy who's not necessarily used to that. So I think the adjustment in that regard, it's him being and him being less efficient has contributed to that lack of fourth quarter success. And I think it's, you know, that coupled with the Brown injury and the fact that they really don't have a lot of good offensive players around those guys is why they're struggling so much because it's a lot of teams will just double Jason Tatum. He'll kick it out to Marcus Smart and, most teams are going to live with Marcus Smart shooting a wide open three because that's better than Tatum taking even a partially contested look because you'll take Tatum in that situation, you know, five times out of 10. Marcus Smart, he, he could be wide open. You don't know if it's going in. He's definitely improved on his shooting, but he's not great. You'll, you'll take Aaron Neesmith shooting anything wide open over Jason Tatum, even taking a double team shot at this point in his career because God knows Neesmith can't hit threes. You'll take Romeo Langford um, shooting a layup over Jason Tatum shooting like a, a triple team shot. Cause Romeo Langford is just the worst offensive player that has ever stepped on a basketball court. I mean, these are the guys who are playing down the stretch. They don't have a lot of go-to options. They don't have a team like what the Utah jazz has where it's, Oh, okay. Donovan Mitchell is doubled. Well, he can kiss. That means one of Mike Conley, Bogdan Bogdanovich or Royce O'Neal, all of whom are dead eyes from three. One of them is going to be open. And if they're open, they're going to knock it down. Celtics don't have those guys on their roster. They have Grant Williams as a spot of guy. That's it. He makes them, but he's not always out there late in the game. You're going to have to put smart out there. You got to have Williams out there. And with Tatum and Brown, that only leaves one other spot. So I, I think it's just a lack of quality around the stars, the injury to Brown Tatum's inefficiency and the workload that he's had. It's there's a bunch of things that are contributing to this, to them just completely shit in the bed late in games. Yeah. Jonathan, uh, notes here that he thinks the struggles in the fourth revolve around a lack of ball movement, but more importantly, a lack of just trust due to not having the aforementioned good shooters around the stars that can really be trusted. And I tend to agree with that point. And I think part of that is that the young and up and coming guys coming off the bench are just really aren't the three and D variety. They're, they're not shooters. Like they're still trying to figure things out completely from an offensive perspective. I mean, you mentioned Neesmith, uh, Jonathan's quote unquote best shooter in an empty gym ever. Who's only shooting 20 something percent from three. Uh, I, I mean that, that, that can't happen. Uh, and, and you've gotten Peyton Pritchard who looked really good at times last year and doesn't seem to have taken any steps forward at all this year. Uh, the only one that seems to have improved is Grant Williams. And so when you're looking at where you're going to see that kind of help kind of take the, the load off of Tatum and Brown late game situations and, and kind of prevent defenses from sagging in and honing in on Tatum and Brown, uh, there aren't many options the Celtics have currently to spread the floor. So I personally think that's, that's uh, a definitely a big reason, just the lack of spacing and allows the other teams to hone in and sag into the paint area 
and collapse on a driving Tatum or Brown and force them to kick out to more unreliable guys. Squid, what are your thoughts on the late game woes? Yeah, I think you guys are right on the money. And I, you know, if I'm just Tatum and I'm at the, it's the end of the game and I'm on the basketball court and I'm getting double teamed by the two best defenders other team has. And I look over and see a wide open Marcus Smart. I don't really want to pass the ball to him. I don't know. That's just me. I'm like, I don't want to give that man the ball who's sitting over there itching to get the ball. Who's just going to heal up a three. It's probably not going to go in. I mean, I think it starts right there. It's, it's in my opinion, it's floor spacing. The main issue is floor spacing. It's like, we've said, said this for two years and Danny Ainge never did anything about it. I think, you know, Brad was in a weird situation during the off season where he had to try to get rid of Kemba and just take what he can get at the, at that point where he was and didn't not make any drastic moves to ruin the team. I just truly think the Celtics need to figure out a way to space the floor. And that starts with, you know, I'm happy Romeo and Neesmith are getting more minutes right now because if they're not going to take this advantage in this next two weeks here showing, okay, I'm a legit NBA player who has a lot of promise here and start knocking down open threes, which I honestly, I'm not going to hate on Romeo because Romeo's played decent at times, but especially Aaron Neesmith and Peyton Pritchard, I think Grant's proven himself, but guys like that, I think Brad wanted to see for a second year because if they're going to, you know, if Neesmith's going to become a legit a legit shooter and floor spacer, then, like, you don't want to give that up. But I think Brad's going to get to the point where, like, enough is enough and be like, I need to go get a floor spacer to have on the floor at the end of these games because, you know, if if Tatum and Brown are out there and the rest of my rest of my roster besides Grant and, I guess, I mean, you, you trust Al to hit shots here and there, can't knock down a shot, then you're not going to go anywhere because, like, if you're, if you're, if you're if looking at a standard basketball perspective, if Tatum's being doubled or Brown's being doubled, that means there's a guy wide open. If that wide open guy is a player, like just for example, Seth Curry, Seth Curry is going to make you pay every time or just a, a good knockdown shooter. And the Celtics have failed to do that. And they, these stars would be less double teamed at the end of the game if they had a, a guy, I mean, a guy that could knock down threes. And that's the frustrating part is it hasn't happened. And, you know, I've been less active on Twitter lately because. I've quite frankly been frustrated with the team. And plus every time I log on Twitter, it's someone saying to split up Jalen and Jason. And I'm like, that's not the issue. I don't see how they went to a co- two conference finals. Together. They're not the issue. It's the, everything around them. Yeah. I, I think they have, the team has tried to address the, the, the floor space and issue. It just hasn't panned out. They, they tried it with Neesmith and that hasn't panned out yet. Uh, I don't know how much time they're willing to give him before they move on from him, but as it stands right now, that's a, that's a failed draft pick. And that's not the only failed draft pick they've, they've, they've kind of swung and missed on others as well. Uh, not even just from a floor spacing uh, perspective, but just from an all around talent perspective. Um, it, it's just, it just seems like the team has to figure out why they can't translate what they do in the third quarter and carry it over in the fourth uh, because they're the exact opposite. You're coming into the week. They rank second in third quarter margin, but then 23rd and fourth quarter margin. Whereas they're kind of ho-hum a little bit of a slow start. Usually in the first, they kind of even it out in the second. They, they come out the gates in the third and then they just poop the bed in the fourth. And, and that's, that's kind of been the, the, the song of the season. And uh, if they could just figure out how to carry over the third quarter play into the fourth, I think you'd be, we'd be singing a much very different tune than we are right now. But unfortunately due to 
all the injuries, COVID protocols, uh, absences, and the lack of consistency and, and rhythm that the team has been able to get, uh, this is where we're at. So I think where we should kind of leave off here is look ahead to the upcoming schedule and see if there's any sort of hope for the team to pick things up and get on a roll here. Uh, their win over t- Cleveland tonight begins a stretch of five straight games uh, against teams with above 500 records. They will play, or they're currently slated to play the Milwaukee Bucks Christmas Day, followed by a, r- a road matchup with the Minnesota Timberwolves and then home dates with the LA Clippers and Phoenix Suns. They then get six straight games against teams below 500, a pair of home games against the Orlando Magic and San Antonio Spurs, and then a pair of home and homes with the New York Knicks and Indiana Pacers. And that takes, that would take us into mid January. So about the next three weeks or so. So squid looking at the upcoming schedule, the next 10 or so, do you like the team's chances at kind of putting together some wins or do you just see this, just becoming or keeping the same, same old, you know, back and forth, a win here, a loss there, not really able to string anything of, of happenstance together. Yeah. You know, I think the schedule is actually kind of beautiful coming up because I think, I think they'll go two and two in that stretch with, uh, I think I think I think they'll lose to the Bucks, which they're due to lose to, and I think they'll also lose to the uh, Suns. But I think they're going to beat the the Timberwolves and uh, who else did you mention? All oh, the Clippers. Clippers who are kind of banged up as well. Um, I think they go two and two there, and then they should be. I mean, they should get healthy, and I think they're off to the races against those six teams. I don't see how they lose to like maybe they'll lose a game or two to those, but I think they'll you know create some separation in the win column and get four or five games above five hundred. And then if they play 500 ball from there on out, that's fine. Cause that'll get you a okay seed in the East. But I really do think they're going to, you know, stay where they are at, you know, go two and two in these next four. And then just from there, take off for those bad games, an easy month coming up. And then, you know, trade deadline gets close. If the record's good enough, I think Brad's going to be more progressive of a GM than Danny is where Danny was a guy who, who had to win the trade. He had to win every trade he made and which is very frustrating, but on the bright side, I think Brad's going to see the needs and fix them. And that's going to, you know, the Celtics need to prove they're worth, worth uh, investing in though. So I think that's a big, big stretch of coming here for him. Mike. Sorry. Um, I, I think that, you know, these next few games are pretty big. And I think that once they hit the new year, uh, that's when they really need to hit their stride because that's when they have a really butter schedule, like you said, Ryan, coming up. Uh, that is their opportunity to, you know, make up some ground in the East. If they're going to get out of this play-in situation, that's when they have to do it, you know. Uh, I believe it starts off with, what did you say, the Spurs was the first, like, sub-500 team that they get? Uh, Magic, then the Spurs. Magic, the Spurs. Okay, so, I mean, those two back-to-back right there. I mean, they obviously have to get through these next four. If they can do that at 500 and then hit the sub-500 teams, really hard, get a little bit of momentum going, find their groove on the offensive and defensive ends. Then we can see what the Celtics team is really made of, but that's when they got to find their stride. I'm willing to let these next few games go as the whole COVID situation sorts itself out, the holiday and everything. Um, but after that, you know, that's, that's when they got to go. They really need to figure out who they are, uh, you know, and put a dent in, 
in making up ground in these standings. That's, that's when I think we could see it. I'm not saying we will. I don't really know what we're going to see because it, it's just different with this team every night. You, you never know. Um, but that's when they should and need to make up ground. Yeah. I I'm with squid on the fact that I think they'll likely go two and two over their next four. I, I, I think that's what they should strive to at least do. Uh, because if you go one and three or God forbid you drop all four against the good teams, you're just, you're just going to show that you can't hang with any of the good teams and you're showing, uh, or I shouldn't say that you can't hang at all, but it, you're, you're showing that you you're struggling to compete with or pick up wins against the, the teams that are playoff caliber. And, uh, that and whether, regardless of what you do in that stretch, it is massive that during those first six games of the new year that you, you get on a roll. Uh, Jonathan thinks that while the schedule does get a bit easier, they better string some games together. Almost like he says on the order of a seven to 10 game win streak. Uh, I, I think that's a little bit far-fetched uh, for what this team is at right now. But honestly, I don't blame him for saying that because until they really string together a, a long win streak, even if it is against a mostly uh, teams below 500, like let's say they win all six of those games against the teams below 500. Yeah. You could, you could put that, you know, asterisk with caveat on it. Like, Oh, they didn't really beat anyone, but at least they, that means that they could take care of business and were able to string together win after win and not have any letdowns. At least you could say that. Whereas if, if they go like two and two, against in the next four and then they go like four and two or even three and three in that stretch against the bad teams. What are we, where have you really gotten yourself there? You've, you've, you really haven't shown anything. You've only uh, carried on the sort the, the message from where we're talking now to where we'll be at in three weeks. So I, I really do Absolutely. think they got to pick, pick things up for sure. I completely agree. The last year, like all season last year and so far this year, we've lost games we shouldn't lose and we win games we shouldn't win. And like, that's how it's been. We randomly beat good teams and we lose to bad teams. You got to change them. It's okay to lose the good teams sometimes. It happens. But win a few of those and then beat the bad teams. Because like, you're right. That stretch is, you said it's Orlando, San Antonio, two New York Knicks, two Pacers. Yep. That's six games in a row. You should go five and one there. If you would drop one of them, whatever, because it's probably a back-to-back in there. And then... And then you get two good games again. You got Philadelphia and Chicago, which are, you know, good teams, but definitely beatable. I think we can win one of those. And then all of a sudden you start another stretch where you get New Orleans, Charlotte, Portland, Washington, Sacramento, Atlanta, New Orleans. That's seven games in a row against teams under 500, or I guess the Wizards are not under 500, but that's seven games in a row. You should go five and two there. And all of a sudden you could be 10 games over 500. It's just a matter of taking care of business at this point. Yeah, I agree. Mike. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know that I can say it any better than squid said it there. I mean, that's, it's, you don't really want to say this is their season coming up um, because it is still really early and a lot can happen. Of course the NBA, but this is their season. Like they don't make up that ground in early January when are they going to do it? Because the schedule is going to get hard again at some point. You're going to have to start playing some of those bigger teams again at some point. You're not going to have the cupcakes waiting for you uh, just to get run over. And, you know, that's that's what they're going to have the opportunity to do. 
is just run through some of these teams. Um, they do it great. I'll start to have some faith again. I'll probably blindly fall in love with this team again. Um, <laughs> but, but I'm withholding my expectations a little bit just because I know how it works with the Celtics. You know, you expect one thing and you get something completely different. So it's, we'll see what happens. Yeah. I mean, the national TV slate in February and March, it feels like they're going to be on national TV. Just looking at it, quick glance, they're going to be on national TV every week. That's so that should tell you what kind of schedule we're looking at, uh, during the, the stretch run of the season, the dog days, if you will. Uh, so I, I definitely think that while I wouldn't quite say this is their season, I'm kind of with you that I'm, I'm definitely very hesitant and I wouldn't exactly say that if you're not able to make up any ground in the next month or so, then I think that you're getting to the point of saying, well, I guess this is it and not having a lot of faith in them being able to show anything other than what they've shown to that point uh, for the rest of the season in it and in any potential playoff scenario. Yeah. And I'm calling it now. Tatum gets COVID right at the start of that stretch. And we go like three and three. Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, no. Well, I'll take a chance on a reverse jinx and the Tatum instead averages like 40 a game during that stretch. And they go six and nine. So I'll take that. I'll take the reverse jinx of that. Uh, but uh, any, any final thoughts? As we kind of wrap up here, Mike. Hmm. Gee, what do I want to say right now? No, you already said it. You don't get to say it again. No, no, <laughs> no, no. All right. Christmas comes early. I won't give it to you a second time. Yes. But I do need to know what the score of that game is. Oh, well, you'll be glad to know with 20 seconds and counting Duke up 11. Go Duke. Shit. Well, that just ruined my night. Um, uh, final thoughts on the Celtics, right? Cause that's what we've been talking about this whole time. Yeah. I'm sorry. The whole F Duke thing trend gets me going in a completely different direction. I hope they turn it around. Uh, it's been a really depressing season to be completely honest with you. This whole mediocre ass team thing is starting to kill me a little bit. Uh, I, I would love to see them get going. I would love to see them beat the bucks on Christmas day. That'd be a great Christmas present. I don't expect it to happen just because they, they find ways to not do stuff like that. Um, but, you know, we'll see. Uh, I'm not going to put any blind faith in this team. I'm cautiously optimistic, I guess is the way I would put it. Mm-hmm. Squid. Final thoughts are, uh, you know, I think Mike nailed it. They're going to go on a run at some point, and I'm going to get, for some reason, I'm going to blindly fall in love with them. And, you know, obviously my heart will get broken like usual. However, you know, I just want the Celtics to have an identity, either just be bad or be really good. I don't want this 500 shit where we're sitting in the middle of the lottery every year. And all of a sudden the Jays are gone. You got to figure it out. Either be good or bad. One of the two and give us something. Don't just be nothing. Cause that's what we are right now is nothing. And I really want that to change. Uh, you know, it's just, it's been a frustrating year and a half. Like Mike said, my final thoughts are uh, outside of the Celtics is I'm so, so, so excited for Clay Thompson to come back. Yeah, can't wait to see Clay Thompson back. Uh, it'll be interesting to also see Kyrie Irving take the floor. Uh, yeah, that's 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 another side story that we could spend another half hour hour on uh, in and of itself. But uh, let's wrap up on that note. So 
for squid and little Mike. I am Ryan. We will see you next time on fixing to talk sports. Go Duke. <laughs>